0: Dave's Five Hot Takes, yeah! Welcome back, everybody, to another interview episode, uh, edition of Dave's Five Hot Takes. I have my dear, dear friend, Drew Holcomb, on uh, this episode. He brings his five hot takes, and they're hot. Drew is kind of one of the kings of the hot take. Uh, if you know Drew at all, you know that he has no problem expressing his opinion and feelings, which is one of my favorite things about him. And if you've seen him live, there's no way you left the show without feeling something. He is one of the most clear communicators... Uh, playing music today. I think if you if you go and you've seen him, you left feeling something. He's such an amazing performer. His band, The Neighbors, are some of the most gifted players out on the road today. I have known Drew for forever. He's from Memphis, but we met when he was in school at uh, UTK at University of Tennessee, Knoxville. He and my little brother, dear friends, they met there. Uh, he's friends with my sister. I've just known him forever. It feels like Drew's sort of always been in the background of my adult life. My, I remember Brad, my little brother, bringing his CD to me and saying, hey, you know, you met my buddy Drew. He's, he's starting this music thing. And being like, oh boy, okay, this guy, (laughs) this guy may have something here. Um, He is also one of my favorite people because he is by far, I think he may be my most entrepreneurial. Uh, friend which is a really bold thing to say but it's true he has his fingers in a million pies and it seems like everything he's got a bit of, of the minus touch everything he touches seems seems to turn to gold but he's had a bunch of records he just had an album called dragons that came out uh, in august of 2019 it's amazing uh, a song off of family has already been on a million commercials um he has started something called the Moon River Festival that was in Memphis. It's now made its way down to Chattanooga. I got to play it a couple years ago. It's so much fun. Um, he released something called Kitchen Coverage during quarantine with his wife, Ellie Holcomb, who's just as wonderfully talented and amazing a person as he is. Um they, uh, he's a part of a bourbon whiskey company with, uh, Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning and Andy Roddick. He has a Magnolia record club where he's released records every month that he sort of curates the list for. He's done a Ted talk that's on the internet. Um, he he's won an Emmy for, uh, uh, a song of his called live forever that uh, the NBA used that won in 2011. I mean, literally drew is everywhere. If you you turn, <laughs> everywhere you turn, he's there. Which is, I love sitting and talking to him about life because he's just he's living it. That, that's the way uh, Drew sort of rolls. But he loves music like I love music. And when I thought of people I want to have on this podcast, Drew is one of the first I thought of one because he loves a hot take and two. he loves music and we talk about that uh, in this uh, in this interview. but um, I was thrilled to get him on not only because I love him so much, but I, I knew that he would have a lot to say and he did and it was such a fun, fun time. So without any further ado, y'all welcome Mr. Drew Holcomb to today's five hot takes. Okay, well, here we are. Um, another interview portion of Dave's Five hot takes with the bearded, the wonderful, the handsome, the um oft uh imitated but never duplicated <laughs> <laughs> replicated drew Holcomb, welcome, drew. Hello, everybody. how's it going man? you know i'm I'm sitting here looking one of my favorite things that's happened this year, so there haven't been a lot of great things that have happened this year, but one of my favorite things that's happened is when you shaved your beard, <laughs> and I've got a screenshot that I want to send you, I think I sent you, of Huck, you know, your 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 second, your boy, eldest boy, looking at you. I caught it at the perfect time because you're laughing and it must have been just like right as the water was getting all everything and clean face and his face behind you. He's just he's
1: like, who is this man? Yes, it was awesome. Because, I mean, the only reason I did that was because my oldest, Emmy Lou, was like, Dad, I don't think I've ever, I've never seen your face. I want to see your face. And I, I, she's been saying that for like maybe a year. And I, there's never been like a long enough break in my schedule to not have my, <clears throat> my main side, side situation here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, my calling card, if you will. Yeah. And so as soon as they announced the, uh, you know, the quarantine, I was like, well, now is definitely the time for that. This is it. This is yeah. when we
0: do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it was, it, 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 it,
0: it's crazy to me. My friends who had beards for a long time, because you forget like you guys have a face. Your kids don't know your shaved face.
1: No, they don't. And so doing it on Instagram live was really fun. Cause like every, you know, everybody's like, what are we doing right now? I'm watching a, a, grown, a man grown man shave. shave. <laughs> 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 but I, I mean, no one, I didn't see my own face in 12 years. So Gosh, I was kind wow. I was pretty curious too.
0: So, so, okay. Which this is a perfect segue. So, we have known each other a really long
1: time. Yeah, for sure. I don't sure. know
0: when we actually met. Could you figure out the year that we would have
1: met? When? That yeah. Happened? Well, I mean, we met briefly when I was still in school in Knoxville. When, because yeah. uh, you know, I went to school with Beth and Brad, your siblings, and so you were playing New City, maybe. And yep, yep. Brad was um, took took. I went with Brad, and I think I was probably a senior, so I was probably twenty one years old. So that would have been 2003 or 2002 or three. Yeah. I mean, it's a long time.
0: Yeah. I think you were, you were like one of my first experiences where a friend would like Brad, you know, or some acquaintance, but in this case, my brother said, Hey, you know, I've got this friend that's doing music. His name is drew. You've met him. He's awesome. And I remember that being like, Oh, I'm now like the guy, you know, that people are going to be like, Hey, check this. And, and here's the CD. um, 'Cause I hadn't done that. You know, yeah. I was never that I was always the guy doing that. I was never the sure. guy getting that. But um but you know, since we've played a bajillion shows, you know, um, still some of my favorite memories are that Christmas tour, very oh, first so Christmas fun. tour. Yeah. Um <laughs> there were so many parts of that tour. I was actually thinking about this the other day when we played in Houston, and I just remember having this moment where I'd like loaded a couple of things in and I was doing something and I turned around and I realized like, I think you had single handedly unloaded the rest of the trailer. And I thought, mm, this is a marked difference between Drew and I that I'm already- <laughs> <laughs> And I
1: think I was doing the same thing, but from a different angle, I was going, why, why am I, Oh, maybe I should let my people do it. I learned from Dave. I was like, I don't have to do everything.
0: So, so you're from Memphis. Uh huh. You grew up in Memphis. Um, as with everyone that I know that is from Memphis, you are a very proud Memphian.
1: Well, yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of the most underrated cities of all time.
0: I agree with that. I have no pushback. Um, so, so when, when you're growing up, when is the first time that you would say that you got the bug for, for doing what you do now, being an artist, being a singer songwriter?
1: Yeah. I mean, I started playing music when I was probably like in the seventh grade. I got a guitar, started taking some lessons. That was kind of a train wreck, honestly. I didn't really love the lessons. It was sort of a classical situation. Okay, okay. And I was like, nope. And I was like, I just want to learn how to play songs, man. Like, and he'd be like, okay, bring me a song. I remember taking in like Garth Brooks, Garth Brooks, The River, and the guy was like, you could tell he was just like, I can't believe I'm spending my time teaching this kid how to play this song. So I ended up stopped. Ta- I stopped taking lessons and and had a friend. It was a real good, really good friend who was a great musician, and he we would sort of get together and just play like. You know, random songs, and um, that was probably seventh, eighth grade. By ninth grade, I was good enough to kind of like lead young life. So, wh- what are,
0: what are those songs? What are the songs you were playing?
1: Oh, I mean, we were playing. Gosh, it was, it was, um, a lot of Jack of Pierce.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Yes. You know, the um, the, yeah, the Vineyard and um, Rain. <laughs> oh my! Gosh. And then it was a lot of worship songs. You know, yeah, I yeah. could I could play Sing of Your Love Forever and play the song for a million years in a row. <laughs> Climb, I've never, climb, climb I've never
0: heard a more appropriately titled song. Than no, that no, song. it's like, it's like,
1: it's like the worship song that never ends, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, it was like, and then a lot of young life stuff. So it was like, I was learning like Bob Seger songs, you know? Oh, wow. Like against the wind and, and then oh, yeah. Van Morrison. So, but I didn't even contemplate music as anything more than a hobby really until college. I mean, I, um, went through a sort of personal tragedy, lost my brother when I was mm. 17. And that summer, my musical taste pivoted from like, you know, grunge rock towards like singer songwriter. Hmm. Cause I mean, most of high school, I was like more into Pearl Jam and Rage Against the Machine than I was into like Van Morrison or David Gray. But right. then that, that, that all sort of flipped for me that summer. And it was really Van Morrison, David Gray, uh, Dylan, you know stuff like that. So, and, and why was that? Why did? Why do you think that changed? I don't know. I think just the temperament of grief, sort of like I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I was. I was more sad than angry, and I didn't need like. I don't know. It just like Rage Against the Machine wasn't doing it for me. You know, it's so like <laughs> it's hard to grieve. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'm not angry at the man. I'm just like right, right, sad. So, mm-hmm. um, and also too, I, I like learned to play those songs easier because it was like Mm, they translated you know if I learned a Van Morrison song on me and the guitar it sounded like more like a Van Morrison song than if I learned like a you know alt rock song on the acoustic and it's like yeah it sounds nothing like the recording (laughs) it sounds like a
0: much more wussy (laughs) yeah that song
1: yeah for sure but then it didn't even then I didn't take it seriously I didn't really write a song until my junior year of college oh wow I never had really aspirations of being a, an artist until the sort of second half of college.
0: So what, what changed? What
1: made you want to Well, it? I went and studied abroad in Scotland. And while I was what there.
0: What was your name? Hey. My name was
1: Ed, Edinburgh. <laughs> Eddie, <laughs> sweet Eddie, sweet Eddie. Sweet Edinburgh. <laughs> um, so I started writing songs over there, mainly just out of curiosity and sort of, I was still, I had started my senior project, which was about, it was an oral history about my brother. Oh, and wow. so, like the songwriting was sort of my like escape or, or my, I don't know, sort of what the right word is. But it sort of helped me get through all that, it helped me sort of make sense of it. And I started to, I was also sort of dealing with sort of a little bit of a heartbreak. Mm-hmm. So a lot of good songwriters start. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. Like the, yeah. the girl that, you know. Won't pay attention to you. Who's <laughs> like my like, wife? <laughs> hey,
0: you know what I love about that? Is to clarify you didn't say the girl that got away. It didn't even get to
1: that. It wasn't pay
0: attention to
1: <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> Yeah, because the one that wouldn't pay attention to me did not get away. I eventually I uh, got her really intoxicated one night. Now we've been married for 15 years. Yeah. And that's, isn't yeah. that a, just a classic story? Who doesn't classic. know that? Who girl? doesn't have that one? <laughs> that's a well-worn
0: path. Here. That's a joke,
1: everybody. That's a joke. I don't condone <laughs> that behavior.
0: Oh my gosh. So, so you come back and you've got some songs under your belt. And is that the beginning of you going like, should I play some shows Should I maybe record these? Yeah, or?
1: exactly. Yeah. I came home with some songs and, um, uh, I had an old friend who was a producer. I met him as a kid. I bought my my first car from him. He was a music producer in, in Memphis at Ardent I Records. I didn't know that. Yeah, I
0: didn't know you bought a car from
1: him. Yeah, um, it's old seventy one Jeep. So we'd sort of stayed in touch a little bit. Uh, that was is Paul, right? Yes, yeah, Paul Iverson. So yep. he was at Ardent Studios. He just built his own place. He left Ardent, and built his own place in East Memphis, and you know. My dad, being sort of the curiosity rainmaker, he was he's like, call, he's like, you should call Paul, you know, and tell him you're playing songs. And so, like so many people do with producers or artists, I was that guy and was like, hey, Paul, I got some songs. And he's like, great, you know, he's like, well, come into my studio for an hour and sing them into a microphone with my assistant engineer and I'll listen to them later and tell you what I think. Oh, wow. And so he calls me like a month later, which is I would just gone back to Knoxville and starting my senior year. And he's like, he's got this sort of like Southern accent, kind of talks with his mouth like this a little bit, you know. And he's like, you know, Drew, I, I, uh, um, I, I, I was just getting ready to call you before I listen these songs and just tell you not to do it because nobody should do it. It's stupid. It's nobody makes it. And um, he said, but I listen to these songs, man. It's got this like uh, Steve Earl, Tom Waits, Dylan thing. I'm not saying you're like them, but I can hear them in you in your songs and. Man, you should probably think about maybe giving this thing a go.
0: No way.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I you mean,
0: got like a stamp of approval. Like someone. I did. Yeah. It's
1: very legitimate.
0: Because, I mean, Paul, for those who don't know, Paul had done Three Doors Down. He had done Sister Jen Hazel. Boston, Sister Hazel. I mean, an extremely sex- successful and sexy producer. <laughs> um, but, you know, to have that, that's a massive deal.
1: No, it's a big I mean, deal. To start
0: yeah. a career with someone with that kind of reputation sort of giving you the, the nudge is a big deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I went back to Knoxville cause he asked what, what should I do? And he said, well, you're, you know, finish school. And at the time my plan was to go to graduate school um, and try to be a history professor, mm. s- seminary professor or something like that. And he said, we'll go, go back to school, try to play, try to play some gigs, you know, around town, which I didn't even know that, how to do that. Um, and then he offered me a, a, a job working at the studio when I graduated. So uh, that sort of became the new path. And so I booked like, I played five or six shows that fall, that that fall in Knoxville at random venues in town and get my friends to come. And and then I got the second stamp of approval was a lot of my friends were like, you know, when you told me you're doing this, I was like, that's kind of weird, but these are actually, you're pretty good. You should, Mm. you know, maybe, maybe there's something to this. Isn't that funny? You know, I don't, I don't know if you've had this this experience, but
0: when people ask me, especially really young people, like, you know, to your point, college kids or people out of college, like, hey, I really think I want to do this. Do you have any advice? What, it's so funny you say that because one of the things that I say is I say, play your songs for your friends.
1: Yeah, totally. It, it,
0: because it's weird because you'd think it'd be the opposite. You think friends would be like, oh, man, it's great. Do whatever you want to do. But you, but if they're really your friends, they're probably going to shoot straight with you. Mm-hmm. And if they, if your friends genuinely like it, you're, you're probably on to something.
1: Well, for sure, because they can, they already can like kind of see through the heart part of it and they know whether or not you're like doing it for the right reasons or whatever. I did have, I did have one friend, this is like hilarious um, and sort of embarrassing. He came to see me play one time and then I invited him a second time and he's like, we weren't super close, but he's, I mean, he lived across the street from me, I mean, across the hall from me. And he said, um, yeah, man, I'm not coming again. It's just not my kind of music. Okay. And I was like, okay, well, I, I know where I stand, you know?
0: <laughs> There's no wondering. <laughs> I mean,
1: no, you. one of the hardest
0: conversations I've ever had in my life is when I moved in, to Nashville, I had a roommate that was a kind of an acquaintance of mine from MTSU. And I'll never forget one night, um, he had had a couple and uh, he was just <laughs> like, man, are you sure this is what you should be doing for a living? Because <laughs> he worked in the music biz. And I just remember thinking, okay, he's like, I mean, I think your songwriter's going to be like, man, I just don't know. Like, you really feel like you're, like, vocally. It's, And I was just like, that was my Michael Jordan moment. I was kind of like, oh, I will
1: show you. I'm going to score 50 know? on you in the second <laughs> quarter. <laughs>
0: that's right. That's right. Um, And so after, you know, after college, you get out, you start playing. What? The, so one of the things I wanted to ask you was this. Um, Do you – what was the goal? Like, did you, did you have something you're like, okay, this is,
1: yeah. Yeah, I did. My initial goal was there was sort of a series of venues in, in Tennessee, new city in Knoxville, uh, third and Lindsley in Nashville and the high tone in Memphis that I wanted to be able to headline. I was like, if I can do that, then I was sort of like, that's my, that's it. That's my goal. And that felt that felt like a very tall mountain to climb at the time. And the new city and the uh, uh, high tone happened relatively quickly, probably within like eighteen months. Yeah, that's that's
0: insane. You know, that's really fast.
1: Because um, those venues are—I mean, Third and Lindsay at the time was what four hundred. What was the old Third and so I think it was like two seventy or something okay, like
0: that. Okay, okay, and in um, the high tones, about the same.
1: High tone's about the same. Yeah, 250. Yeah. yeah. The old That's high tone. A lot of people, man. <clears throat> a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was it was it took me probably to headline, it probably took me 18 months to sell out. Probably took me another year, two and a half years. Um, so when people are like, Did you like dream of selling out the Ryman? two nights in a row and I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) I don't have any sort of even like remotely close to having a dream of that that sort of scope.
0: You know, and 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 this may be too bold, so forgive me and and correct me because I know you will if if this is wrong, but I say this a lot about Nashville people. I don't know a lot of friends who moved here to play music to sell out the fill in the blank. I know a a crap ton of people who are like, I just want to play music. And make a living playing music. Yeah, definitely. I think people think it's like sports or business that way where it's like, well, why would you not get into it if you didn't think you could sell the ramen out? It's like, well, first of all, it's a complete crapshoot. I mean, it's the crapshoot of all crapshoots. But then second, you just want to get out and play. You know, I I just don't know a lot of people who really, and plus you just can't control, like it's, it's gotta be one of the careers. It's gotta be the hardest to actually affect any real control over. It's so crowd dependent. And so I think people can misunderstand that because, you know, uh, which I think this is a whole other conversation, but I also think it speaks to how confusing it can be once you actually start to have success in this business, because I don't know a lot of people who actually thought they would. Yeah, yeah, totally. How to manage
1: it. And well, and also, too, I think for me, there's such a steep learning curve on how to write songs and then how to record songs and then how to sing Hmm. and then how to sing live and then how to put on a show. I mean, there's all these things that, as a fan of music, when you start making, like, you decide to become an artist because. You were influenced by artists, and you loved the way that it sort of helped you, helped you sort of color the black and white world, that, right? That is for there, sure, you know. So, but you don't, you don't have the language or the skill to know even how to name what that thing is. And so, right. as you're learning and growing, I feel like that was, in some ways, has probably been the most satisfying part of the whole journey. Is 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 sort of learning these languages, learning learning music. Learning songwriting, learning, singing and and being able to put those things all together to to create a sort of magical moment of a recording or a sort of particular show or tour that 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 sort of communicates the way you want it to communicate. so I think it took me like my real goal, I think of trying to do music was to like make something that I was proud of. Mm. And I think that took me longer than I wanted it to, to take um, yeah because I didn't have any of the skills or language or knowledge. And I was totally flying by the seat of my pants.
0: Which isn't it? This is something that's always been so fascinating about your marriage is what you just nailed. I mean, you have you who, who is beginning a new tradition in a family of a music making. I mean, you know, you and Ellie are both music makers, you know, but Ellie's pedigree is music making. Right. Yours is nowhere near music making. So it's interesting to your point, you would come up in this, Southern family, wonderful parents. I mean, incredible family, but you're not musical. It's not in an in, in occupation, at least. I mean, I know sure, they sure. love music, but then Ellie, you know, who is a Bannister. Her, her dad is one of the most successful producers in Nashville, maybe the most successful producer in, in Christian music of all time. So she that's a well-worn path in the Bannister family. And so you get married to this girl who has got to be such a, Blessing in a lot of ways because of that, you know, because yeah. this is a language she speaks better than you do. Right. And she understands it. So there's, no, there's nothing you haven't explained to your wife of like, this is what this looks like as a career. And so my life may look like this. You know, she's, yeah. she, <laughs> she knows it very well. So, so how has that been? What is that dynamic, especially early on in y'all's marriage and dating? Like, what was that like being oh, suddenly, yeah. you know,
1: in, <laughs> <and, and laughs> as you're, your I mean, it's very interesting. I, mean, I, was, I was just thinking, you know, like, I, I don't think. I don't think I understood the difference between pitch and tone until I'd already made like two records. Yeah,
0: for sure. You know what I mean? Like she's like your
1: pitch is off. And I'm like, I don't understand (laughs) what does that mean? You're like, this isn't baseball. She's like, I feel like your tone's kind of weird there. And I'm like, well, you mean I'm not hitting the note, you know? And she's like, yes, 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 yes. Oh gosh. (laughs) You know? And then I I remember uh, a particular moment, her family also, they all are sort of creative and a lot of them are songwriters. Uh, not necessarily professionally, but they all, you know, a couple right. of them are, and then right. and then one of her brothers works in a church, and he writes songs, and then Carly's an artist, for her younger sister. They're and, all
0: so stinking
1: talented. Yeah, they're all really talented. All of the siblings. Um, so I remember I played a song, "The Wine We Drink," for one of her brothers, and um, uh, I was just playing it for him, and he's, he, I played it, and he's like, "Hey, so oh, that's cool, but what, what, what if you changed And I was like, "Hey, um, I wasn't really looking for." <laughs> like an, an assist <laughs> Songs song, song's finished. I love it. I'm, I'm recording it just as it is. And that was a, a lot of our dynamic together too, was she, she's much more collaborative and, and, um, her family tends to, one of their love languages is, is like sort of honest critique.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that
1: is not one of my love languages <laughs> <laughs> when it, when it comes to my songwriting. And so I would write a song <laughs> And I'd play it for her, and she'd be like, huh, that's interesting. And I'm like,
0: Oh dear.
1: Okay. What do you okay? Cool. And she's like wanting me to ask her why I think wait, <laughs> like what anyway, do you, what, what do you are we think? eating tonight? <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, cool, that's I love that song. It's finished. It's done. <laughs> and then the best uh, the best moment ever <laughs> on that front was I wrote, um, she and Nathan, we've been married for I don't know, maybe five years, and she and Nathan, our guitar player. We're working on a Christmas song in our sort of music room in our old house. And they'd been in there for like just, I mean, slaving after the song. And it was one of those that just was not coming easy. And this is the night that I wrote Live Forever in the other room. Oh wow. In like 14 minutes. I and mean, it was like one of those songs that just kind of came, right? So I played the song for them. And this was this this particular time, Ellie was like really just undone by the song. She loved it. She was just like crying. You know, it was about our nieces and nephews. So it was sort of personal mm. for both of us. But then after Nathan left, she's like, I do have one thought, if you don't mind. And then by this point, she had learned to kind of like mm-hmm. couch mm-hmm. her. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she said, that line, like, play on children like it's Christmas Day just doesn't really, like, resonate with me. And I was like, hmm, that's my favorite line of the song. And then so she drops, speaking of her dad, she drops the, um, she had always dropped her dad as like, well, we should ask my dad about that. And I was like, and so I was like, you want to ask your dad about it? And she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, actually, I do. <laughs> Oh shit! And so um, he they come over for lunch or something a couple of days later, and I'm like, "Hey, can I play this new song?" And so I play the song, and he's he's over there, and he's just like, "Wow!" And he goes, "Oh, that Christmas Day lyric is my favorite." And you just <laughs> I just looked at Ellie, and I was like, "That's what I'm talking about." <laughs> the brown seal of approval has swung oh my- in my <laughs> direction. Oh,
0: that's amazing. I
1: am now a professional too.
0: That's right. yeah you just remarked so one more question then we'll get to the hot takes. you know I, th- I think about you and we talk about your pedigree and growing up in Memphis, how do you think that's influenced your writing and your music because it's um, such an insanely musical town
1: it is it's a very musical town. there's so much history there's so much um, sort of genre collision that's, that's a great way to put that that's that. happened there um I'd say the biggest thing is sort of a a little bit psychological or sort of uh, just a, a sort of streak of independence. Um, mm, I love that uh, sort of grit, kind of do it your own way. You, you, <clears throat> the, the biggest thing I sort of fought against in Nashville and still fight against is like sort of seeking perfection in the studio. Mm. The the Memphis way is much more of like, it's, they want, you want to be raw. You want it to be human. It's why, Bruno Mars went to Memphis to record some stuff because he just wanted that sort of like yeah, raw yeah. in the room authenticity. Yes. And I've always tried to keep that with me at first. I don't think it was necessarily like, a I even knew that that's what was going on, but Memphis people just have sort of a, whether it's musicians or athletes or anything, they're sort of a chip on our sh- shoulder, you know, sort of mm. feeling like, you know, us against the world kind of thing. So, Um, but, but honestly, like musically, I didn't even know necessarily what was Memphis and what wasn't because I grew up like every other kid in the eighties and nineties listening to, you know, oldies radio. And I didn't know what was Motown and what was Stax. I didn't know what was Muscle Shoals or what was, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. LA as -hmm. far as recording went. But I did know that, that, you know, music was revered and respected in Memphis, i think a lot nashville's obviously has that there's other towns but a lot of towns there's music is not like a respected part of the right, sort of right, local right. culture so right music was respected and so even when i told people i was going to do music it wasn't like some alien idea right right you know? right
0: yeah it's it's a part of the vernacular
1: yeah exactly which
0: was you know i remember when annie and i got married and she moved here like within, I think a week, she had ran into somebody at the grocery and they're talking and she asked, you know, well, you know, what's your husband do? And he's, you know, he plays me. She's like, oh, great. You know, is he gigging? And she was like, I mean, I just can't have this conversation in Jackson, Mississippi. No. You know, like I think her, her grandmother's like frog gigging. Day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, you can have that conversation. But I think your grandmother still to this day is like, you know, is he out with prostitutes and snorting lines of coke at every show he plays and like if you saw these venues I'm more apt to have too much coffee than I am too right. much cocaine you know I mean? yeah. like, it's very,
1: not really- speak for yourself Dave really <laughs> Touché. yeah
0: Touche. so speaking of <laughs> let, let's get into the hot takes drew let's all right. uh let's start this party so what's uh what's a uh, hot take one I'm ready
1: hot take one uh, okay hot take one I'm gonna do sort of a, I kind of all my hot takes are a little bit sort of uh uh best and greatest I love that I love that So I'm going to start with one. I think Willie Nelson is one of the greatest jazz singers of all time. Ooh. I love this. Continue. Okay. So, you know, obviously Willie's like revered as a songwriter, revered as sort of a country artist. But I've been spending a lot of time recently just listening to him sing. Mm. And the way that he phrases and the way that he climbs in and out of melodies is is absolutely unmatched. Like it's as good as – Any of the great jazz singers, Sinatra, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Ella Fitzgerald. And I I started thinking about him as a jazz singer. It's made me appreciate and love his music by like a multiple of like two or three X. That's
0: incredible. What made you think about that? Like, was there a Trying to sing with
1: him on stage. Oh,
0: yeah. Not many people can
1: answer with that answer, by the way. Yeah. So we were, you know, we did, we did this tour with him and they, they said, uh, hey, you get, you know, he, um he always does this medley towards the end of the show. And it's, I saw the light. Will the circle be unbroken? Um, there's one other one that I'm forgetting. Um, and they're like, when he starts it, just go up there. The, the, there's a guest microphone. He, he He knows you're coming up. And so, you know, it's like, instead of, I wondered, so aimless life, it's like, I wondered. So, ain't this life, <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> yeah. where are we going? <laughs> like chasing kittens on stage, dude. It's unbelievable, <laughs> and it's similar with his guitar playing, too. Yes. Obviously, yes, yes. Um, but I all of a sudden I was just like, Man, and then, um, one of my favorite songs is Kern with the Frogs Rainbow Connection, <laughs> and I was looking for other versions of that to sort of like, I was like, I wonder what this song would feel like if it wasn't like a fake frog. Oh, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And so, um, Willie's is like one of the top ones that came up and I was like, this is, he's addressing her. Yeah. This is like his, unbelievable. his, um, his whole, it's
0: he sort of lives outside of time.
1: Oh, the way yeah. he
0: performs it, but stardust, that record for, for oh those who are listening. And I think is, is as much a Testament to your hot take as anything that record randomly was a record I grew up on. My dad had that record
1: yeah. and,
0: um, it is so first to agree with you. I'll say one, um, that record proves your point. If nothing else does like, even if you don't ever listen to another song, he ever sings that record, which is basically a jazz standards record. Yep. He absolutely slays. He sounds so normal and you know, he doesn't sound like me doing a jazz record. it sounds like a jazz guy doing a jazz record, But exactly. but two, you cannot write the song crazy. You can't write that song. If in those melodies are some of the best melodies of all time, they're they're really jazz melodies, truthfully. That's yeah. long as he is,
1: yeah, like jazz standard, it's kind yeah. of stuff.
0: Yeah. So, which Willie Nelson wrote crazy, you know, that Patsy Klein yeah. made so famous. Those melodies, are, you don't, uh, a normal person doesn't write that song, like a country no. s- songwriter doesn't write that song,
1: you know. Other sort of side note on Willie, he was basically only as far as success goes, he didn't have a successful record until he was in his 40s. Jeez. I mean, um, Red Hooded Stranger came out when when I think he was 43 years old. And before that, basically everything he'd ever done had kind of commercially tanked. And so he goes and makes like the most weird, you know, sort of, um, it's basically a a book, you know, it's like this, um, you know, it's not like a standard classic record at all. He just, basically did this you know the word is escaping me you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah um and then everybody thinks of him now it's like oh he's just been a legend for all these years and it's like well he's actually only been a legend since he was in his 40s you
0: know you know uh fun fact who else is like that i think bonnie Raitt's nick of time i think came out when he when she was 40 she mm-hmm. had had tons of records tons you can look it up wow and good records like you'll listen to them yeah but that record was the first one i mean it, it won a grammy it sold two or three times platinum it was a massive record don was produced it uh but yeah she was i mean she was definitely at that so why do you why do you think why is that not still the case anymore do you
1: think i mean i don't know if that's true chris stapleton
0: that's true that's true
1: you know i mean so i I think it's still possible i just think that I mean, I think Willie Nelson was probably still an exception in his time. Yeah, too. that's, that's probably true. You yeah. Know.
0: Yeah. It feels like these days of stuff. I, matter, I haven't made
1: my biggest record yet. Get in there, Dave. Drew. Get in there. I don't know if you don't know that yet. <laughs> hot take number two. <laughs>
0: All right. segue <laughs> in hot take number two. Um, So, 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 you know, you, you sort of speak to this um, with Willie, how he's dabbling, you know, I think of anybody that I know in music and this is, this is my own hot take that I'm adding to yours, but I don't know that I know anybody with fingers in so many pies as I do, Drew Holcomb. You know, I mean, you are (laughs) such incredible. No, I think it's incredible. You're such an entrepreneur. Um, But to me, you're like one of the guiding sort of like what you can do in 2020 as an artist. You know, you're sort of one of the archetypes for that to me. You know, you have... Moon River Festival, which is just such an incredible thing. You guys have have grown that. You know, you and Paul Steele, your manager, have have just grown this thing. Now it's in Chattanooga. It's this massive event with humongous names. Um, you know, you. I saw you're part of this new bourbon. Uh, you know, which is so cool with Peyton Manning and all of these other. Um, and it's called Sweet Cove sweeten's cove sweeten's cove yeah bourbon you have moon river you have magnolia record club you have the headliner golf you know uh uh trips that you put on i mean it's and i guarantee you you've got two cooking right now nobody even knows about so what is that about you like what 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 is that what's that thing
1: i don't know i I just i I think more than anything it's just curiosity and Mm -hmm. a high tolerance for risk and pain um (laughs) and pain yeah and certainly pain um (laughs) I don't know. I just, that old adage, like, you know, there's nothing you can, if you're going to bet on something, bet on yourself, Mm. you know? Um, It's also just fun. I like building things. I like sort of the creative process, the vision of, of uh, an idea and seeing it sort of take on reality. Um, Yeah, but it's exhausting, honestly. And some, some of those dreams, you know, for everyone you've mentioned, there's others that, failed or yeah, didn't, yeah. you know, didn't, didn't end up being as good of ideas as like, they, as I thought. I mean, Ellie's funny. Cause she's like, don't I, like, I need you to go on the road, but I also need you to come home, but don't be home too long. Cause when you're home for too long, you come up with another idea <laughs> and then that's just exhausting. So,
0: <laughs> so has, um, the, has the pandemic been good or bad for that?
1: You know, it's actually been good for that. I think for the first time in a long time, I'm taking stock of just the reality that time is like the one asset that is limited mm, man. that you can't get it back. And so I've enjoyed some of the forced um, rest and, 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 and honestly enjoyed some of the forced hustle, but I've really enjoyed the time at home. Um, Which is funny.
0: Cause I, you know, I say that in, 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 this, you know, in this pandemic, you've started kitchen covers. You've, you know, this bourbon has come out in this pandemic. And yeah. so it's just proof to how much, you know, your engine sort of idles at, Half it does you idle know. about three thousand RPMs. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs>
1: What'd you do today? N- nothing. When you say nothing, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're nothing in my nothing. <laughs> what do you mean? That. Yeah, I've always thought that's what I, what's amazing about you. Yeah, I, I do idle pretty high I mean, I, I learned that from my grandfather. I grew up five doors down the street from my grandfather, and and he didn't believe he didn't believe in like work and rest. He believed in work and play. Oh wow. And those are, you know, and I have that sort of mentality. I don't really rest very well. I play hard. Yes. You yes, know, yes. so that's that's my rest is to play. Yeah,
0: it's it's cool. And I think for those who are listening, you know, that think about what we do these days, I think, again, you know, Drew, you do such a good job of this, but I'll never forget. A friend of mine called this about a decade ago. She said, you know, um, uh, she said, I think in the future, in the next 10 to 15 years, it's not going to be artist you guys are going to be slashers and i was like what's a slasher so well like singer slash songwriter slash bourbon owner you know slash yeah. you know so so, so you know it, i think that's true and i think for people who are coming in this career right now it, you know you're 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 seeing so many artists humongous humongous artists to to brand new artists that are really doing such a good job of of slashing of kind of you know yeah yeah and i think the best thing about that in my opinion is you know I've just found that everybody I know that does this has some hidden other creative superpower, you know, like I was interviewing James Bay the other day and James is this incredible artist, like incredible artist drawing. I mean, I think about, really? yeah. you know, um, Bo Reinhardt. you know, Bo is an insane. And so it could be in writing, it could be poetry. It could be painting, you know, Thad's been Cockrell's been doing these paintings,
1: carpentry, carpentry, like carpentry like any of Kiefer, these kind of, yeah, exactly. Know,
0: yeah. And you just kind of feel like the great thing about doing music one of the hard things about doing music in 2020 is that, you know, there's not the money there used to be streaming is, is making things good in some ways and really difficult in other ways. But one of the great things that I think that forces us to do as creatives is you actually get to be a creative, you know, you can, right. you can, like you're doing so well where it's like your entrepreneurial skills can, you don't have to squash those. Like you may have 30 years ago because all you would have been doing is touring, you know, cause that's all you right. had time for and making records. Now there are these chances to do other things that you've done so well, you know, so it's kind of encouragement to this. So what's, uh, what's hot take two?
1: Hot take two. Hot take two. Best male vocal performance of all oh, time.
0: Oh, Drew's coming off the top rope. I can't wait to hear this.
1: Percy Sledge, When a Man Loves oh a my Woman. Oh gosh, yeah,
0: that's hard to push back on.
1: So I, I was watching oh. the, whenever he got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I can't remember who got in that year. It may have been you 2 Um, there was a lot of like hoopla about sort of whoever the main act was. And they, and I, I think it was, I think it was you two and they did a great job and the accolades and everything were well, well-deserved. But then um, he gets in and he, he does when a man loves a woman and he, his wife's in the front row and he's like at the time, like maybe like mid, late seventies. And he sings the song in you know, this like wherever they are, whatever venue they're in, Five thousand people, and he does not take his eyes off of his wife oh, the entire. Gosh, and he's she's weeping and standing up, and you know, and the whole crowd is, and he's just getting after it. And I didn't know at that point that, that who he was. Wow, you know, I mean, I knew the song, yeah, because of Michael Bolton. That's right, oh Mikey B, <laughs> oh Mikey B, who that's a great. I performance was going to say well. he he's no slouch. No slouch, um, but I went back in and I, and then I got into this argument, like we all do with each other, like what's the greatest male vocal performance? And and there was there was like all these good options, you know, John Lennon's "Twist and Shout" I think is like yep. one of yep. the greatest yep. of all time, yep. and um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was like, what about Percy Sledge when a man loves a woman? And everybody in the band was like, yeah, that's probably yeah. It. <laughs> you can't th- yeah. you
0: you really can't argue that,
1: yeah. And a lot of people haven't heard it, so that's, that's why I want to say it out loud. Yeah, you need to you hear it. You haven't heard it. People need to go hear that. That is,
0: that is the great yeah. centrifuge, in my opinion, of of what the song is about, is being communicated by the vocal. And that may sound crazy to people because is isn't every song that, but it's not. You can have great singers yeah. sing a song without really expressing the song's intent. And when that guy is singing When a Man Loves a Woman, you are like, somebody in that studio just got pregnant from the vocal
1: tape. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, so many so many pregnancies. <laughs> so
0: many pregnancies. I mean, that song, he sings. I mean, I was watching Sam and Dave, you know, uh, one of their live shows a couple months ago from back, you know, forever ago. And when they're singing, hold on, I'm coming. You're like, they're literally about to get in the car and drive a million miles towards something. Because, like, they yeah. sing with such. And, and I think Percy Sledge is the same way. When you hear that song, you're like, yeah, that's. You can't he there he is leaving it all on the mat <laughs> yeah. there's no and especially the lyric you know like to your point like i gotta see that clip i can not imagine what his wife just like what do you i i find it, and it to you what if he found out later that wedding his wife and you're like oh, Percy, <laughs> oh look at you
1: He's like, oh trouble <laughs> Percy's in trouble
0: <laughs> um so you know we talk about all these things you you've done um and then you did this ted talk uh which i thought was so good can you talk about that and how that came about and how you chose to to, to speak on what you did
1: yeah, yeah. Well, um my friend Stephen Kellogg is another singer-songwriter. I know you know Stephen. Yeah, he's great. He's you know, he's up in C- Connecticut and we've been friends for a long time. He did a TED Talk and he and then uh after that he was on tour with us opening for a a, a tour we did and I was asking him about it and, and he's like, "Yeah, man, you should do it sometime." And I was like, "I don't know. That seems like it seems like a scary situation." You know and and anyways so i sort of so i asked paul about it and he's like yeah we'll I'll look into it and so paul um paul and uh and samantha figured it out and and, and the ted x people in memphis asked me to come and and do and do the talk so there was you know there's like time limit to it and you have to memorize it which is way scarier so than long. playing a show yeah. you know and so how long? Was, how long is it eight minutes well, it ranges. It's, it's like eight to 15 Okay. Okay. is sort of the, the, the limit okay. that they give you and you kind of sign up in advance. So I, there's a lot of things to talk about. You could, you know, that you can talk about one of the things i i sort of have strong opinions about is that the sort of face of artistic creativity gets way too much credit. Um, relative to the, the sort of village that it takes to actually make mm. something happen, wow. you know? Wow. And I've known that through things like obviously touring, but, but even the festival mm. and the record club, it's just like, um, um, my kids are sort of loud. Can you hear That's that fun, yeah. upstairs? They're having a great, can time. you hear them? Yeah. They're yeah. trying to bang. Okay. Yeah, they are. I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell Ellie to ask them to stop banging on the floor. Sounds like a baby um, breeze show up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I wanted to, I wanted to, um, talk about, yeah, sort of how creativity is, is a shared endeavor, both from the creation process, but also in the reception process, wow. that, you know, we don't get to decide, um, what the meaning of our work is once it's out there, hmm. you know, um, because it's, uh, yeah, because it, that's sort of the, the beauty of, of making something creative is that you, you do your best to make it, and, and then you release it into the world, and it may mean something completely different Somebody to other else, people. Like I've, yeah. Yeah, I've got a song called American Beauty that's about, like, lost love, and, you know, some advertising person thought it was about being a dad and put it in a dick Sporting Goods commercial about being a dad, and now I see it and I think about my daughter, you know, because, a <laughs> they, 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 they paid me well for that. Um, <laughs> but also, like, it was a really emotional Advertisement about a father and a daughter, and I was like, "Oh yeah, American Beauty." You know,
0: I mean, that is. I think. I think one of the things that's amazing about that talk is great, and it's called "Your Dreams Are Not Your Own." In that, right?
1: Yeah, your dreams don't belong to you. Dreams don't
0: belong to you, and uh, and I think for a lot of people to listen to this, that 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 may be a you know surprise when you hear that someone would write a song, and then even as your your intentions for the song, you know, you sort of release it. And then they come back and you can experience your own song in a different way. That's a real thing. Yeah. It's a very real thing. It's very real you thing. Know, yeah. As life changes, you know, you can have an intent for a song and then some experience happens or somebody says, you know, some, so some fan can be like, Hey, have you ever thought about this meaning that to somebody else? And all of a sudden you're like, Holy cow, I didn't even think yep. of it that way. And then you sing it and you, you realize that, you know,
1: and they can also have it in a funny way. Um, when I first wrote American beauty, The line was, she was a good companion with eyes like the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. I took out the with because this is what it sounded like. She was a good companion with eyes like the Grand Canyon. (laughs) With thighs. And I sang it a couple times live like that (laughs) sort of. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, people were like, that's a beautiful song, but... um, She had some big old
0: thighs, (laughs) huh? That's some big that's some big uh, sandy thighs there.
1: A C D C song. Oh my
0: gosh. (laughs) With thighs. Like, I'm never gonna hear (laughs) that song. (laughs)
1: Sorry. I just I just ruined it. Well, don't you you,
0: like I remember Wirtz had some moment where like, oh John McLaughlin, dude, John needs to tell you the story next time you see him. But um Wirtz, like one night made a comment about one of his songs about his daughter. And it's a sweet little song. And John was like, now, every freaking time I sing that song, I I, I try not to laugh at the lyric that Wurtz always mishears. And, you know, it becomes like this curse because you're up there. Totally. You
1: know? You're like trying to be in the moment. Oh, yeah.
0: And then you to just thinking about Grand Canyon Thighs, which is, can that yeah. be the name of our band?
1: Grand Canyon Thighs.
0: <laughs> okay. What's the next hot take? Give it to me. Hot take
1: three. Okay, I want you to play a little bit of a game with me on this okay, one. Okay, let's do it. <clears throat> Renu, you can ask me questions. I want you to figure out what my favorite recording of all time is. Okay. Um, what particular song, not a whole record. Okay, is
0: it, uh, is it in the 70s? No. 80s? Uh,
1: maybe late 80s, early 90s. Uh, okay, is it U2? No. Oh, early 90s. Late but but uh, where's U2 from?
0: Ooh, oh, Van Morrison. Nope. No. Uh mm-hmm. are you saying Europe or are you saying uh Ireland? Ireland. Ireland, oh, yeah. Ireland. Uh oh, cranberries. Close. Oh god. This is uh uh oh I'm missing somebody and this is gonna drive me crazy. Who is from uh, boy or girl? Uh girl. Uh and it's not the cranberries. Since disgraced. Uh, ooh, oh, oh uh
1: oh this is she didn't write I'll give you a couple more hints. She didn't write the song. Okay. Someone of much more clout and esteem wrote the song. Oh, I'm gonna be- but they're both they're both big artists, big stars.
0: Ireland. She's from Ireland. How am I not yep.
1: knowing who this is? I'm gonna start singing it to you in ten seconds. Okay, no go. It's been seven. Oh my gosh.
0: Dude, and Sweet Prince Since you took your that song. Alright, talk to me about
1: it oh, do, 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 do. So That is one of those songs That I feel like I heard as a kid And I had to like go by, Be by myself and, and just like cry Yeah and I don't even know why yeah. I was probably, I don't know I don't know how old I was 12, 13 yep. years old Um, And there was this ache, right? Ugh uh since you've been gone, I can mm, do whatever I want. But but there was just something that was just so raw uh, in that recording. And then the simplicity also of, you know, looking back on it now, the simplicity of sort of this ethereal production, this super like trash canny snare drum. Um, um but then also like she has this huge raw moments of singing, but then just like
0: nah. Nothing compares. Yeah, it's so dark. To, to you. Oh.
1: oh man, I just like I could listen to that song on repeat. Yeah, like that. Um, written by Prince,
0: which is a fun. Topic. Written by Prince. Yeah. Didn't know that
1: yeah. until many years later. I don't think a lot of people did. I, know I don't I, think. I, yeah, I don't think most people know that because we covered it the, the day that he died. We covered it. Oh. Uh, we were in we were in Omaha, Nebraska, and. We wanted to do like a whole thing, but we just—you know—you don't learn like three Prince songs in like an afternoon.
0: Oh, I don't know if you learned one Prince song.
1: <laughs> yeah, we learned one. It went, it went, it went fine. I, t- I think the crowd probably would give it like a solid B plus. <laughs> hey, that's a win, dude. And the plus was just because it was out of respect. Yes, yes, Prince, the homage. You know, um, but we we actually lit the stage purple oh, uh, and, let, and let that. purple rain, let purple rain play all the way through in the dark with oh, just the purple lights on the stage. They, so, anyways, um, but yeah, that that song, her her vocal, and and just like people always, I, I always ask me, like, what kind of music do you like? And I always I've started to so, sort of say, I like music with ache. Mm. So I don't care if it's Katy Perry or Robert Johnson. Wow! If it has ache, and 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 it doesn't even have to be. I think ache could could be sort of seen as like a a sad thing, but it's not necessarily. It's just like, are they singing it? because they have to sing it mm. like there's got to you know that's sort of my litmus test for like a great recording is does it is it, does it have some ache in it God, that's and i think i think that song has the best ache oh. of any recorded moment i've ever heard i remember i, I it, remember that. the
0: first time that i heard it and just being cuz i actually saw the video at the same time and i was just like Ooh. what is this it's then the, the video, video is so it's so like beautiful. right here and it's just so it, it it it's exactly what the recording does. It's like we're just going to get straight to the point. Yeah, because her delivery is God. That's a great. So so so, you know, thinking about, um, you know, you, like you, you're talking about music. Obviously, you're referring so much music from from growing up. That's something I've always felt a lot of simpatico with you on, and, and <laughs> is your incredible love of music.
1: I do love it. Yeah,
0: you know, and I think and and I think this may sound crazy to people. But um, not everybody that does music full time loves music, you know. And I don't think oh, you, have yeah, to. you yeah. don't have
1: to, you know. You don't have to, but I think. Well, what's interesting within our band, we have these a lot of fights about music, and, and good fights, like health, yeah, healthy, yeah. fun yeah. fights. And basically, Rich, my bass player, he, he doesn't like anything that's been recorded really in the last like thirty years. <laughs> I love those guys. Love. And the thing, and the thing he hates the most is like new retro soul yeah yeah it's like white especially if it's like a white band yeah i mean he he thinks they're great people and he thinks some of them are good players but he's just like i do not turn that on around me yeah you know Yeah, he also has a phobia of straws which is a whole other conversation (laughs) oh
0: oh my gosh i didn't know that about (laughs) rick
1: which so clearly there's other things that need to be addressed
0: (laughs) maybe you're connected
1: Yeah, they may be connected. Because they use a lot of straws these days when they record songs. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we get in a lot of like, uh, but, but I'm always trying to get him to listen to new music and he's just kind of like, he's, mm, over he's over it. He's over it. But then he like, I start. He got, I got him really into Dawes three or four years ago mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is like, I can get behind this, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I love music from all sorts of, you know genres eras recording styles I, mean, I was you know i just i think that there's like this never-ending pandora's box that music is um i think one of the one of my like only regrets in adulthood is that like my wife doesn't really like like loud rock and roll music mm. and i could like put on some zeppelin and like break some stuff, you know, just yes, like yeah, yeah. And every time I'd like to put it on the car, she's like, What what are you doing? <laughs> like like shh, shh. trying to educate our children. <laughs> you know? this is
0: about you, Ellie. It's, it's not this about, is about me you. or you. It's about our children. Our children. Yeah. I, I think I, I love that about you. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that's so great about your writing and we'll, we'll talk more about this later. Um one of the things that I love about your writing is I feel like you are always discovering things that inspire and 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 uh, inform your music that you make. You know, I think that's one great thing if you if you listen to your records over time they to me sound like a guy who loves to listen to music.
1: You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. That means a lot. I um I hope that's true. I I'm, I'm sure as you know it's like it's gotten more complicated with kids. Yeah. Um but I've learned to love what they love you know which sometimes is I mean there's certainly nothing wrong with the Tarzan soundtrack right
0: I (laughs) I love Phil Phil Collins
1: Phil Collins (laughs) is like amazing and there's certainly nothing wrong with the Trolls soundtracks I mean Timberlake and all those cronies making records but I I don't find myself with as much time as I'd like to just like sit down with a record yeah um, yeah I I do I do think that like one thing great about streaming is yes the discovery yes. part of music yes. is quite a bit easier. Yeah. But also the sea of music is sort of overwhelming. Yeah. And then I do think the recording, um, standards have gone pretty. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm like, yeah, that's a great song. Too bad. It sounds like somebody lit a match in the bathroom and recorded it, you know, across the hall. It's like, <laughs> I'd love to hear that. while it was exploding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I think for myself, I always tell
0: people, I feel like I'm only as good as the music I'm listening to, you know, like my mm-hmm. music is only as good as what's coming in. Like, and I do think for all the trouble that streaming has been, especially in how we're compensated, the thing that I'm eternally grateful for and has prolonged my career is the Discovery Weekly playlist on Spotify. And yeah. I guard yeah. that algorithm with my life. My wife is always like, "Hey, get hook up our Google account." And I'm like, "No, no, no, no! Nobody touches my Spotify account because they have gotten my little sweet spot." And every Monday, I oh man, the ship has it. sailed
1: on me for that. See, that's
0: in this, I, dude. I, I've talked to some of my friends that had to start a new account because all of a sudden, dude, <laughs> things would start happening. This makes right. you laugh so hard. <laughs> two things would start to happen. They'd get on their Discovery playlist, some new. Wolfpack song would come on. And they're like, "Oh yes, this is what I need." Okay, ooh, what is this? this? is cool. And then it would be followed by like the acoustic version of "Let It Go." You know, oh my God. and then yeah, and then the best. And this is what makes you laugh the hardest. <laughs> and there'd be like, you know, six or seven Phrase and worship songs in a row. Because uh. God bless all of my friends and their sweet wives. But, you know, their wives who are wonderful women would would be listening to some great phrase. But, you know, my friends who are like trying to write these, you know, they're getting in there trying to write whatever. And then they're like, I'm going to listen to the music. They click on the discovery scum- <laughs> And it's like, you know, some children's version of Lord, I lift you. Right after Percy's Ledge, you know. <laughs> Oh, I can't handle that. It just doesn't. I mean, it makes me cry laughing. I've I've literally converted so many of my friends to buying, you know, upgrading their accounts because you can start over. And I talked, I checked in with a friend of mine, Dustin Ransom, that long ago, and he's like, dude, it's a whole new world. Like, I don't have to share my account anymore with my kids. So w-
1: when we're done with this interview, you're gonna walk me through how to do oh, that. Dude, it it will it because
0: literally, man, I can't speak to this enough again for for as tricky as that whole place is, and I've got to be careful, but it is incredible how much new music it's brought. I mean, I I have I have a playlist that's just for me called Songs I Like that I started when I started my Spotify account. And all that it is is on my discovery playlist or when some random music is playing that I've just got playing and I like the song, I hit add to playlist and I put it in this playlist just called Songs I Like. And so I it's probably 3 hours long mm. and it's got tons of bands I've, I had never heard of that some of them I'm huge fans of now you know and a lot of it is just one song because I'll listen to the rest of the catalog I'm like I don't like it as much that one song but I love that one song and it has inspired so much music from me you know that that yeah, was a, cool. that was a thing for me growing up is going to town you know here in Nashville going to Tower Records every Tuesday and I would spend an hour or two at the listening booths yeah you know because that was a vital part of my creation process and when that Whole world started to go away. I was terrified because I thought I don't know if I'm going to have enough gas in the tank to keep making music. And then, thankfully, as you know, streaming has come up. There's just so much music. To your point, you know, um, and I think yeah, people like you awesome. and I, you know, it helps because we love music. So you're always listening to music, you know. Um Okay, so is this the final hot take? Is this five? I think I, I
1: think I've given you three. Oh, give me four. Give me four. Hot take four. Okay, I'll do the, This one's kind of. This one can be short. I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, this person m- made a record that, at the time, was my least favorite record of theirs. Oh wow! And is now is now by far my favorite record of theirs, and that is Ray LaMontagne's "God Willing and the Creek Don't Rise." Oh yeah! So when that record came out, I got like I got sort of I was a huge was and, and am a huge fan of his. So I'm going to say I think it's I think it's his best work. Wow! And you know he had made these records with Ethan Johns. Mm-hmm. Um, the first two or three records mm-hmm. with Ethan Johns. Mm-hmm. And I knew Ethan Johns' work from all the early Ryan Adams right, stuff, right. You know, the uh, Emulo Varis, mm-hmm. et <clears throat> And he went off on his own to make his own record and it sounds like real roomy and it's like recorded in this barn up in Vermont, wherever he lives. And at first I was like, this just doesn't sound right. It's not, this is not the artist. And then I slowly sort of, you know, over years have... Listen to it more, and now I realize this it is like his purest, most Mm. Ray LaMontane ish record, right? And realizing that sometimes, like, your first impression of an artist is really colored by the producer, Mm. you know. Um, but I it also is the record where I heard of and finally understood who Jay Belarus was, the drummer, and listening to that record, um, honestly, I think it's I just love Jay Belarus so much. I'm going to say that he's my favorite sort of session player of all time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He, he, I saw him live with Mark Cohn years ago. And I oh my gosh, leaving that show going, first of all, Mark was amazing, but also, and you know, his wife is a bass player, Jay's. I did not know and that. And so they, they, they kind of come as a tandem. Jay's wife or Mark's? No, Jay's. And they kind of come as a tandem. And, And, oh, wow. and so they were the band. See you later, Rich. I mean, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's been a good run,
0: it's been a good run, um, but but yeah, it it was it was, and me being a drummer growing up, I was like that was one of the most incredible. Just watching him do what he does it was incredible.
1: He's a beast. yeah, yeah. Uh, Ian Fitchuk had this video. He there's apparently Jay does the thing in L.A. like once a month. Or this it's just this restaurant and it's he and I can't yes, remember who the bass know, player yes, and the guitar yes, player yes. And they you know, no no PA, no mics, and they just set up in the corner of this bar uh-huh. and play for like two or three hours. But they never say when it's gonna be. And I'm like, I need to move to LA for a month. Yeah, just just and, so I can and, be ready and, yes. for that one night and go listen. Yep. Because they never record it. They never announce when it is. They just go do it. They just go do it. Yeah, he so, he's and,
0: and Ray is a, a beast. I'll never forget hearing um God, I don't know if I heard Jolene first. You know, one of Kevin Griffin's hot takes for, for our hot take episode is that that version of Jolene is better than Do- his Jolene is better than Dolly Parton's Jolene.
1: I don't I mean, I, it, yeah, they're both amazing. But I remember the first time I heard Ray Montaigne was that song. Somebody sent it to me. And it was back when like you could only listen to if you didn't buy it on iTunes. The only way to listen to people's stuff was on their website. And so I remember saying somebody said, oh, you can listen to the song Jolene. So I clicked on it. And it was like, you know. Cocaine
0: flame in my bloodstream,
1: and I was like, "What (laughs) is coming through my speakers?" (laughs) And it also completely eviscerated an argument that I had been making for myself about my lack of success at the time, which was, "Man, I think I think my name is hard for people, you know, like Holcomb, Drew. How do you spell it? You spell it with an E, and then Ray Lamontagne. Lamont. No one knows how to say it, you know." just shoots up to the top oh, of the freaking God. songwriter charts. And I was like, Oh, maybe it's just cause you got to make better music.
0: Yeah. I mean, dude, so, so, so with that being said, what do you feel like is the, it, what's the cocktail? I love asking it by this on the pocket. What's the cocktail that makes up drew Holcomb? Like who are the artists that are in that little stew that make up? The, oh man. You know, the drew Holcomb. This, and it could be, cause again, you're a music lover. So you could, this could be a hundred people, but I mean, who are the ones? Yeah, there's so
1: many. In? I mean, I would say that, you know, I'm just going to fire off like six or seven really quick. Uh, Petty. Yep. Dylan Springsteen, Tom Waits, Marvin Gaye, Carol King, the Beatles, uh, Don Henley, um, David Gray, um, Ray LaMontagne, uh, gosh, just so many, you two for sure. Um, and you said the Cranberries earlier that those two records really, really had a lot of my like, you know, attention when I was young. There's so many, I mean, I, I mean, Garth Brooks, I mean, I, I was a big Garth Brooks mm-hmm. fan growing up. I didn't really love like regular country music cause, but I did, I loved him and, um, but if I had, a, if I had like a Mount Rushmore, it'd be Petty, Springsteen, Dylan, Marvin Gaye.
0: Of any of those, if you could write one song with any of those, who would it be?
1: Mm. Like an existing song? Just like if if you I mean dead or alive, write, if they if they write, were like, let's have a co-write session. Yeah, new song. Oh, petty for sure. For real. Yeah. 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 What
0: about dinner? Uh, if you could have lunch with or dinner with one of them. Springsteen. Really?
1: Yeah. I think it's gonna happen someday.
0: I, I you know what you I I believe that. I believe I I, a thousand percent, you know, did you see the Broadway show? No, I hadn't seen it yet. I went and saw it three times, three times. Yeah. Oh man. I saw a clip of it and it was like, it was that, yeah, I was blown away. I just love that he did it. Like whether you liked it or not, just that he was like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, um, one of my friends is from the same area that he's from. And I remember him saying like he, this was a decade ago, but he was like, oh yeah, he's, you see him everywhere. Like you, you, Yeah, he's just around. Yeah,
1: he's around. Yeah, yeah I've had multiple friends who've had uh, basically like sort of accidental run-ins with him. The, the, the best was this buddy of mine's sister does like horse hunter jumper stuff. And Springsteen's daughter used to do that too. So like seven or eight years ago, he's watching his sister do this horse thing somewhere in New Jersey. And uh, he sees Springsteen walking. He's like, hey, Bruce. And he just kind of gives him the, you know, like this and walks on. And uh, he didn't think anything of it. And he said about five minutes later, he feels, he's like looking this way and he feels someone sit down next to him.
0: Mm-mm. No, he at Bruce. And he
1: goes, sorry, I didn't talk to you earlier, man. I had to go to the bathroom. So what's your name? And they had had like Shut a, up. you know, oh, 15 minute conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Oh my gosh. You know, a fun fact about that one, which not to harken back to every podcast I've done, but James Bay, one of his hot takes was, um, we talked about Born in the USA, how it's the same melody that the whole song. That blew my mind. It comes in with the organ or the keys. Yeah. Then the Born in a Dead Man's Time. It's the same melody. The Born in the U.S. I was like, Holy cow!
1: Wow. Didn't that mess with you brain? I didn't think about that either. That's <laughs> what I sort of
0: yeah. sat there for. Like, I was a bit. I was gobsmacked on that one. Isn't that crazy to think about?
1: That is crazy. Also, the thing I love about Springsteen is like, there's basically no choruses. Yeah. Yeah. Except yeah. for that record. Yeah. That record has choruses, but everything else is just like just, parts. Yeah.
0: He's just going.
1: You know, yeah. It's got like these weird, cool musical parts that all don't I mean, yeah. And it's do awesome. you
0: believe anyone in the world more than you believe him?
1: No, you no, definitely not. <laughs> well, I learned from that too. Like my two most popular songs on streaming are probably What Would I Do Without You and American Beauty? Neither of which has a course. Yeah. That's you know? fascinating. It's like you've got to write you gotta write what you believe and let the chips fall. As long as you do it well and with some you know. Yeah. It's just interesting how stanza my my brain is so full of different things now that used to be. So they just have such a like McCartney Beatles like mm-hmm. you know the structure mm-hmm. thing, which is great. And most of my songs are that, but they don't. You know, there's plenty that aren't, and those are sometimes the ones that people really like. Gravitate onto, on yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think about Tom uh, Tom T Hall's uh, "That's How I Got to Memphis." Yeah, yeah. That's yeah how yeah. I got yeah. to Memphis, and it's like it's not even really a chorus; it's a tag. Yeah, but it's you know? also the but he but he does it like nine times. Yeah. Cause it's like nine verses. Yeah. Love that. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. Five. Hot take five.
1: Last take. If I could have anyone's career in music history, oh, wow. it would be Tom Petty's. And here's why. Okay. First off, he's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. They've got some of the greatest records of all time. We'll get back to that in a minute. He was Dylan's backing band for an entire year in 1986. He was in a band with a beetle and And Roy Orbison. Why do not... Why do people... Sorry. Why do people not talk about the Traveling Wilburys more? I don't know. It's so so good. Oh, my
0: gosh. That music is incredible.
1: Jeff Lynn. Oh, my gosh. So good. So many geniuses. So many geniuses. And then when Rick Rubin did the recordings with Johnny Cash, Tom and the Heartbreakers were the backing band in the studio. So I'm like, he's been the band. He's been in a band with the Beatle, (laughs) Dylan, and he was the backing band for Johnny Cash and Dylan. He made records, many, many records with Jimmy O'Vine and the greatest mm-hmm. producers of all time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Jeff Flynn. And then he's made like probably six of my 15 favorite records of all time. Yeah. So,
0: and Rick Rubin.
1: And Rick Rubin. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people don't, don't they, they know his career, but they don't know about all this, this sort of like mm-hmm. his side project work is like second to none. Yeah. He, he.
0: You know. He, I think he, to me, is the archetype. I've talked about this a lot on this podcast. He is the archetype of the simplest version of a thing, writing the the most condensed version of something you can write while it's still wildly profound and hooky. I, yeah. He's the goat. Nobody touches him
1: from miles, in my opinion. No, I mean his ability. There to- are people who've had. There are people who've had moments mm-hmm. or records that mm-hmm. sort of stand up to that standard but the way he was able to do it consistently through like three or four different decades, multiple sort of like sonic eras,
0: mm-hmm,
1: you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, Oh, this is cool. Now he's not really cool anymore. He, know, he, he remade his mm-hmm. sound and became, and, and sort of kept his bullet all the way through.
0: Well, and it didn't hurt that his band, I mean, you know, and you, you have this and Duggar, you know, but like his Mike Campbell, the G, you know, cause Nathan's just such a monster freak talent, you know, it's that's yeah i do Duggar. and and you know campbell's was that for tom petty i mean when you have this right hand man who is as insanely hooky and gifted you know you've you've just and then you know ben mont and all those guys like steve Ferrone, you know now who's been the drummer for the last whatever 20 years you just i mean it's like to your point it actually goes back to your ted talk it's this crazy thing of like you're not creating music in a vacuum. You know, you're bringing in
1: songs to guys who, well, well, and it goes to your comment earlier about what do people want when they start making music? You know, it's not necessarily that they want to be famous or rich because there's a lot of other ways to become Mm. rich. There's, there's certainly other ways to become famous, but Duggar um, and rich, the guys that play with me and, and, a lot of other great players have played with me over the years behind the drums and the keys and stuff. So it's not just the two of them, but they didn't get into music for anything other than they wanted to make music. And what Tom Petty did so well was he, he found those guys and they sort of, he he just became sort of the the vehicle mm. for all of them to make music over the, over a lifetime together. Mm. And the, the biggest compliment I've ever been paid was Duggar's been doing these series on Instagram where he like, talks about a guitar player and then does a solo of theirs Mm -hmm. that he loves. And he started with Mike Campbell and talked about Petty. And he said, you know, ever since I was like 18, just wanted to play music. And I always loved Mike Campbell. I love that he had a Tom Petty. And I'm just so grateful that I found Drew. He's my Tom.
0: Oh, my gosh. And I was just like. (laughs) (laughs) What a compliment.
1: (laughs) Like, that's it. I'm done. I retire. Yeah i not. I don't want to retire because I want to keep making music. But I don't need anything else out that's of this. That's right. That's right. It's all gravy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like to be able to do the things that we've gotten to do together. That's why you know Petty is such an idol to me because he did it. He carried people along with him. Like you know, they they never sort of like lost sight of their of what he's good at. Like he's just like he's just like his photographic lyrics. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Where it's like you can take almost any couplet of his. And and put it aside and and take it out of context and it's still like like ripe with meaning mm. and, and and ripe with energy and ripe with sort of a sense of place and time and nostalgia and yeah it's that that so good and
0: and and and, and what's you know his hits to I mean I remember I literally remember where I was this is so hysterical but probably five years ago uh, I was driving through 12 south where I live here in Nashville and. Free Fallen came on, and it was the first time in my life I actually figured out that that chorus was was saying what it was saying. Yeah, I'm free. Mm. Free Fallen. I was like, oh my gosh. Because I always heard it like Free was just waiting to eventually get to Free Fallen, but he's like saying, I'm free. And you're like, oh, he's free. Free Fallen. Oh, that's not good. It was literally the first time in my life.
1: After hearing it like a billion times, times, which is the
0: profundity. Yeah. That's the ninja skill of that guy's that's his whole thing. It's like, Yeah, oh yeah, you've been singing this, but in twenty years you'll sing that lyric and go, Oh wow, that's profound. Yeah, it's a really
1: sad song. You know?
0: And you yeah. know, which which I was gonna circle back, you know, that's one of the things John said, McLaughlin said in ours, which I thought was genius. He had a guy tell him one time that uh every great song or some some qualifier, like every, you know, whatever song is a uh, is a is a sad lyric to a happy melody. Mm, Elton John. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, like "Isn't that profound?"
1: So profound, yeah, so true. To, to
0: your to your comment, or you know, your hot take about ache. You know, you kind of realize there's something crazy about these songs. You sort of find yourself free falling, being an incredible example of that. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Well, dude, thanks for doing this.
1: Oh, this is fun, man. I've, I've loved I've loved this idea since you started doing it. I think it's great.
0: Thanks. Yeah, we we've
1: yeah. It's fun. This
0: has been uh, the interview thing has been so fun because I just love hearing, you know, everybody else come coming off the top rope. Which you, I mean, you had some zingers there.
1: <laughs> well, it makes this makes me want to like get off and write a song. So that's a good thing. <laughs> that's all
0: I can do. You know. Well, dude, thanks yeah. so much
1: for doing it. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Days five hot takes. Yeah.